1: get a look at, um, number one, what's been going on with our economy and whether or not we are really truly learning lessons from the Great Depression or simply poised to repeat them. You know that uh, Ben Bernanke, the Fed chair, um, wrote his thesis study on the Great Depression and the government's role in it and whether or not that uh, helped relieve it or exacerbate it. We've seen Ben Bernanke say the U.S. labor market is a national crisis, pointing out that America has close to a 10 percent unemployment rate for a number of years. Some states like California, 12 percent. Some regions within California almost double that number. All the talk of stimulus bills and trying to get people back to work through the government dole, is there any level of hope behind any of this? We've got a guy that's an expert on the Great Depression that's going to make a comparison and contraction between how America responded from a governmental standpoint in the days following the Wall Street crash of 1929, the tail end of the Hoover administration, then into the, the um, uh, administration of Roosevelt, and then whether or not some of the same mistakes that were committed then are being repeat, repeated again today. A look at the fruits of graft, the Great Depression then and now.
2: This is preeminently the time to speak the truth,
1: the whole truth, frankly and boldly nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is
0: fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified
1: terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Certainly bold and encouraging words for a nation at a critical time that needed to hear words of that sort and, most importantly, needed leadership. In the wake of the events of the crash of 1929 and the Great Depression of the 1930s, there's been much to do about the government's involvement, whether or not many of the steps particularly taken by the Roosevelt administration under the so-called New Deal were the right steps to take, or as some might assert... Was the New Deal ultimately a wrong deal? Did it ultimately prolong and deepen the pain of the Great Depression? It is interesting to note that the current head of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, did his thesis on the Great Depression and the government's reaction to saying, as we take a look at the Great Depression, what it meant to be then and what it means now, we're joined by the author of a new book entitled The Fruits of Graft. Now, some might say, wait, Fruits of Graft? No, isn't Craig, don't you mean to say The Grapes of Wrath? John Steinbeck's a great book. Well, certainly that book, um, sharing the story of the the plight of the sharecroppers escaping Oklahoma and the Dust Bowl of the 1930s during the Great Depression. Many of though, the images, though, of that book, certainly apropos to this new one, The Fruits of Graft, written by my guest today. He is Managing Principal and Chief Economist for Classical And author Wayne Jett, thanks for being with us on the program tonight.
2: Very happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, let,
1: let's first kind of uh, spend some time analyzing the genesis of these two events. I think a lot of us understand that in the late summer, early fall of 2008, the bottom fell out of the derivatives market, the repackaging that had been going on, the promises of the, the worthiness of many loans that had been made that turned out to be no there there, largely led to the collapse of uh, you know not just the housing industry, but everything associated with it. What of 1929, though? What what actually led up to a so-called uh, Black Thursday on October the 24th of that year? And how many comparisons can we draw between the severity of that crash back in 1929, Wayne, and where we're at today?
2: Well, let me start by uh, talking about uh, how the crash came about, why it was so bad. Um, a book in seven, 1978 uh, described uh, a very... Uh, definite, clear uh, uh, correlation between the days of the great crash uh, and voting on the floor of the Senate uh, adopting uh, very high tariffs under the uh, Smoot-Hawley tariff trade bill that had not yet been enacted at that time. But every day that there was a a significant vote indicating that uh, the Senate was moving away from free trade and uh, to a protectionist uh, tariff law. Uh, there was a, a tremendous crash in the market. Um, there would then be recovery on whatever news there was uh, of the free trade people winning, and so on and so on. Uh, at that time, uh, trade, international trade for the U.S. was only uh, less than ten percent of the, the total GDP. So, um, in no way did it uh, did it. Uh, Justify this the tremendous crash that we had in the market. Um, I, my research indicates uh, that uh, the crash itself was actually used as a triggering event uh, by uh, very powerful uh, large capital pools uh, who planned uh, the event and used it as a way to, to crash the stock market uh, by doing uh, fraudulent trading in the nature of uh, counterfeiting shares, uh, selling short shares that you didn't own, flooding the market uh, with uh, great numbers of shares, driving it down and then letting it go back up and then doing it all over again. So this
1: wasn't a big crash, this is the great grab.
2: Uh, No question, in my mind, I'm convinced that is the case. Uh, Because of the additional things that I uh, also discovered in my research, all of that kind of fraud lasted uh, from, from October 29 all the way uh, into the election of uh, Roosevelt. By 1931, with uh, the fraud in the markets driving capital out and looting it, uh, so much capital was lost by ordinary people uh, in the, uh, across the country in the private economy that there wasn't much left. There was a lot of uh, uh, production had to be sharply cut back uh, and uh, by 1931, we had 25 percent unemployment. Uh, by ni- the end of 1931, uh, international trade was cut by six, uh, by by uh, something like 69 percent, almost 70 percent. So a reduction of more than two thirds in international trade. The European countries were hurt even more than we were because their trade was. Uh, International trade was something like 25 uh, percent on the average of uh, their GDP. But uh, what happened uh, then? Um, the the uh, same forces that were uh, controlling the Republican Party at that time and pushing Hoover to do it, uh, Hoover could have uh, stopped uh, the Smoot-Hawley with just a word. It only won by two votes, uh, and uh, he could have vetoed it. Uh, it would never would have happened. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, this was a planned. Uh, uh, collapse of uh, the stock market and a, a, a plan to drive private economy to the sidelines uh, that, that's what uh, happened then uh, lots of uh, those who could save whatever capital they had when they shut down their plants they bought gold because as Roosevelt was uh, being elected uh, there were rumors, uh, strong rumors, that he was going to devalue the dollar so they were seeking shelter much as the, much as people are now uh, and then in 1932 the same forces controlling Hoover uh, led him to do the next uh, really stupid thing that he did um, hurtful thing that he did and that was to sign or propose and then sign a tax bill that uh, quadrupled the lowest income tax rate and trebled the highest income tax rate uh, Active to January one of thirty two, when uh, uh, at that time there was no withholding tax, and so the entire year's tax bill was due March fifteenth of nineteen thirty three. That is why there was a run on the banks, so called, that we've been told about in early 19th, uh, March of nineteen thirty three. Uh, the run on the banks was the American people. Having to go to their banks to pay their tax bills. That uh, drained the rest of the uh, capital out of the banks who were already hurting because of failed business loans. And uh, obviously, the, then we had a bank holiday and so forth. But that was, um, th- those were government actions, um, policies, for example, that the uh, Republican Party at that time would not. Uh, Step in to regulate and uh, and bring justice and law enforcement to, to the financial markets, um, and then uh, compounding the problem with this tremendous tax increase that uh, with 25% unemployment. Uh, it just absolutely put the economy on its back.
1: You know, it's amazing because you think about the manipulation that took place, as you're suggesting in the markets in 1929. Certainly, we saw plenty of that with the you know fog up a mirror. We give you a free house loan. Ah, you make ten dollars an hour, no problem. Here's a loan for a half a million dollars. You'll pay back the money to us somehow. Uh, you know, that's certainly with rife throughout the problem that created the current economic decline. But then you talk about the government. its inability to respond in the appropriate fashion, and then a force to raise taxes, etc., etc. A lot of this is sounding very strangely much like where we're at today. If you've just joined us, a conversation with Wayne Jett, he's the author of a new book called The Fruits of Graft, The Great Depression Then and Now, drawing some very startling comparisons between the two events. And I tell you what, if you think it was frightening back then, you ain't seen nothing yet. We'll dive deeper into this topic as our conversation with Wayne Jet continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Oh, the WBA. Now I said that. The WPA Sleep while you work, while you rest, while you play Lean on your shovel to pass the time away Taint what you do, you can't die for your Why
2: way that? The WPA The Ah, uh, Yes,
1: indeed. Welcome back to the program here, just about five minutes away from the hour of 6 p.m. Uh, the WPA, one of the many uh, types of alphabet soup programs proposed and put into effect by the Roosevelt administration back in the 1930s to try to relieve the pain of the Great Depression and much of the, the fruits of graft that took place. Uh, the book, by the way, written by Wayne Jett, our guest today, taking a look at comparison and contraction between the events that uh, not just created but ultimately led into the Great Depression. 1929 and forward. And then, ironically, where we're at today, fast-forwarding the better part of uh, 80-something years. And uh, quite troublingly, as much as it seemed to be the answer for what ailed America back in the 1930s, is the proposal we're seeing out of Washington, D.C. again. What we need to do is pass stimulus bills and get money for more projects. Uh, projects maybe not quite as, uh, um, as spirited as things like the Tennessee Valley Authority to electrify most of rural America, uh, the National Recovery Act, or the, the much maligned WPA there. Uh, and, and this comparison between the two, it, it's surprising, Wayne, because many economists at the time argued it didn't seem to be doing much to get the economy jump-started back then. Why is it that people in Washington, D.C. think that any of these programs are going to make a bit of a difference today?
2: Uh, because, you uh in fact uh, i don't believe that people making the decisions actually believe they will help in fact the policies uh, i'm convinced are not intended to uh, create jobs or to uh, cause a recovery uh, quite the contrary uh, they're uh, they're leading us uh, and assuring again just as was done uh, all through the 30s uh, that we cannot recover from economic depression uh, they are looking to push us deeper into economic depression uh, and uh, in in one particular way uh, the policies they're using are even more insidious more more destructive uh, than in the 30s uh, certainly those uh, adopted in the 30s uh, I'm quite certain were uh, adopted to cause poverty not to cure it uh, but what we have now, is a a policy of creating tremendous debt and not raising taxes immediately, but incurring the debt uh, that will be unpayable no matter how high taxes are raised in the future. Uh, That uh, presents a destructive trap now, a trap door under our Constitution that could cause the fall of our government. Uh, This is an extremely uh, serious matter now, and... uh, I, I need, however, uh, if you'll permit me, uh, to speak a little more about what happened uh, when Franklin Roosevelt took office, uh, because the, the the picture that I presented so far of uh, getting them into the Depression is not even as bad as the one that assured that they got deeper in the Depression and continued uh, much longer, uh, all by design. Um, I might uh, if that's okay with you. Yes, uh, please,
1: because a, as I mentioned, you know, we, we, we saw the big campaign going on. Uh, the president was going to offer America a new deal. Some, looking back historically, might argue it turned out to be a pretty raw deal for most of America. And as you're suggesting, uh, there was a lot more to meet the eye than just this alphabet soup of programs that were proposed in an effort to try to fix things. And, in fact, there was another agenda at play, kind of the the -the behind-the-scenes agenda, I guess we say, Wayne, that uh, was much more insidious, wasn't it?
2: Well, it was was the controlling agenda. Uh, The New Deal uh, was all window dressing. Uh, It was to keep people uh, busy and uh, the the news uh, focused on that and so forth. But uh, let's look at what uh, 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 Roosevelt actually did. Of course, he was driven uh, the the electorate was driven into his arms by the by the terrible decisions made uh, during the Hoover administration. Uh, And Roosevelt was elected in a landslide to do three things, at least two things, but uh, clearly, uh, in my mind, three things. One is to roll back the tax increase that had just crushed the economy in '32. The second was to open free trade again and and get the the world economy going again, Uh, both things that were done by Hoover that could have been stopped easily by Hoover, but he didn't. Uh, And the third thing was to clean up the fraud in the financial market. He comes into office uh, when that landslide and with uh, a tremendous majority in in, uh, both houses to support him. He could have done exactly those things, and we would have been out of the Depression uh, uh, almost overnight. Uh, Instead, he did the opposite. Uh, He he appointed a secretary of state who was strongly free trade, as the entire Democratic Party had historically been. Uh, So his party would ordinarily have have, uh, immediately adopted low tariffs. He uh, appointed a secretary of state, uh, very strongly uh, uh, pro-free trade. Uh, That man uh, arranged a conference uh, in June, um, uh, only uh, three months, four months, uh, after uh, uh, Roosevelt's election in London uh, to negotiate the low tariffs uh, uh, with nations around the world. Uh, Roosevelt did the incredible thing of leading him to believe that that's what he supported, Uh, he was actually at the conference, the Secretary of State was, uh, and uh, uh, Roosevelt uh, broadcast from Washington on the day supposedly the deal was going to be done in London and blew up the entire uh, conference by saying, we have no intention of doing free trade. We're going to look out for ourselves, and we're not going to stabilize the dollar against other currencies.
1: That, that was, that was the, uh, the work of Cordell Hull. Uh,
2: yes, Cordell Hull was the Secretary of State then, uh, very strongly free trade, and uh, uh, Roosevelt absolutely pulled the rug completely out from under him, uh, even using a personal emissary that he had sent over there to carry the message uh, that he supported Cordell Hull, And he pulled the rug out from even under his emissary. Uh, uh, Raymond Moley was uh, sent as a personal emissary to carry the message, yes, we're for uh, doing uh, free trade again. Uh, But uh, he blew that up. Uh, And then uh, in terms of taxes, of course, uh, his record is absolutely abysmal. He raised taxes and added new taxes. Every year he was in office, he insisted upon doing it. All the way to 1945, except one year, 1939, the Democratic Congress would not pass a tax increase because they lost 81 seats in the previous November election.
1: You know, one of the other interesting comparisons, and I want to have you elaborate on this when we come back, Wayne, it's interesting to note, we came off of the heels of the, the whole savings and loan crisis, 1970s, early early 1980s, remember the whole Keating five, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people forget that when all of that finally came to fruition and, and the, the collapse of, of so many of the SNLs across America uh, had finally kind of worked its way out, that upwards of 1,800 people that were responsible and involved with and directly benefited from that entire debacle ended up doing jail time. Fast forward 25 years, we have a second major banking crisis which overshadows the severity. I mean, you know, we're talking about the SNL crisis that had billions of dollars in lost money. And of course, as we know, what's transpired since 2008 equals, you know, trillions of dollars in wealth that just disappeared overnight. And yet, not a single banker Not a single Wall Street insider has been held accountable, has been investigated, and sent to jail for all of their actions. SNL crisis of the 1970s, early 80s, almost 2,000 of them went to jail, and by 2011, nobody. And you can't count Bernie Madoff, because Bernie was just into his big Ponzi scheme that took place a lot sooner than all of this. In fact, a lot of them were probably jealous that he got as much as he did for as long as he did. 65 billion dollars. A lot of potatoes. We'll take a time out. Come back to more of some insights tonight. Wayne Jett with me. The book is called The Fruits of Graft. The Great Depression Then and Now. It's an eye-opener. Startling information to be sure. Buyer beware. Back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the program. We continue on our conversation tonight. He is Managing Principal and Chief Economist with Classical Capital, LLC, and is joining us today to talk about his new book, The Fruits of Graft, The Great Depression Then and Now. Wayne Jett is with us tonight. And Wayne, as we were talking about some of the the inability of the administration, both now and back in the 1930s, to try and curb uh, the impact of the market collapse, a market collapse that, as you point out in both scenarios, was largely one that wasn't created just out of the cause of different forces sort of colliding in upon one another, but actually was an engineered collapse, and even a lot of the response to it has been very carefully crafted up to and including the fact that very few people, we were suggesting before the break, have have been held accountable for their involvement in any of this, both the current go-around as well as what happened back in the 1930s. Uh,
2: Yes, very true. And there's a a very... uh reason for that. Uh, That is the the so-called Securities and Exchange Commission that was set up by Roosevelt. uh, The 1934 Act established it um, and uh, it became operative in 1935 uh, but it was uh, set up uh, to be the shield for the big players on Wall Street uh, not their watchdog. Uh, It was uh, uh, it was uh, put under the control of the biggest manipulator of the nineteen twenties and uh... nineteen twenty nine and all the way into nineteen thirty four the biggest manipulator on wall street was joseph p kennedy mm. uh... he was certainly the most notorious uh... yet he was made the chairman of the sec he stayed there for just a little over a year uh... for the specific purpose in my opinion of staffing the uh, agency with uh, the friends of Wall Street who would make certain that the big players were never touched. Uh, and uh, they have operated that way ever since. Uh, in fact, uh, none of the big players of Wall Street uh, are ever Uh, really uh, penalized uh, in proportion to the things that they do.
1: Well, let's talk, for example, about the SEC. It's very curious that as much as there were plenty of warnings, that there was no there there in a lot of the claims that were being put forward by the banking statements coming from any of the big institutions, whether you're talking about if Citibank, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, uh, even a few that no longer are with us like uh, Lehman Brothers, and yet No hue and cry, no response of the SEC to open up deep, broad, and wide investigations into any of the manipulation that took on, uh, took place leading up to 2008, and yet, and yet dare Standard & Poor's drop the bond rating of the United States government in response to uh, Washington, D.C.'s inability to come to some kind of agreement over the debt crisis, and immediately the SEC opens up an investigation into them. Now, there seems to be something slightly foul.
2: Well, uh, uh, I think even worse than that, uh, the destruction of the large financial firms uh, in 2008 in large part, was planned demolition. Uh, It was not because uh, they had uh, lots of uh, terrible toxic assets, Uh, in many cases quite to the contrary. Uh, Those firms, uh, starting with Bear Stearns, were destroyed by manipulative trading primarily called uh, naked short selling. That is uh, today in the electronic computer world. It basically is a situation in which you can create shares, as many as you want to create, and sell them. Uh, If you're a hedge fund or a major institution like an investment bank, uh, you can sell as many shares of Bear Stearns as you want when when you have none at all in your ownership. And you don't have to borrow them, and you don't have to deliver them. They were being allowed to create those in the millions to drive the share prices down of those companies, Uh, The SEC did absolutely nothing about it. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, of course, uh, being guaranteed by the federal government uh, at at one point in July of 2008, uh, because of that guarantee by the federal government, there seemed to be some pressure or at least an opening for the SEC to do something to stop the obvious naked short selling of those uh, two big firms into oblivion. And lo and behold, uh, uh, after denying naked short selling was a problem for these many years, the SEC issued an emergency order in July of 2008 to prohibit uh, naked short selling of the shares of Fannie and Freddie and uh, 17 other major international banks. Uh, all of whom uh, are primary dealers in Treasury Securities. Of
1: course, by then, isn't that long after the horse had already escaped out of the barn?
2: Well, actually, it wasn't. As soon as, uh, before they issued that order, right up to the time they issued, the naked short selling was was such a degree that those two big institutions, Fannie and Freddie, and and remember, these are yield-type investments. The, t- the kind that uh, mutual funds buy for steady return. They were not go-go uh, funds. So all of those shares of Fannie and Freddie really were owned by mutual funds, which do not trade them. Uh, and yet they were trading over 400 million shares per day. 400 million shares per day plus. Uh, even though they had something like... Uh, A million to a billion two shares uh, totally uh, outstanding. That is a tremendous amount of their shares to be trading. Well, as soon as that emergency order went uh, forth saying no naked short selling, guess what the trading volume was? It fell to something like twenty to thirty million dollars shares per day. Uh, So you can see that we had uh, close to four hundred million shares of fake shares being sold every day. Uh, in those uh, two big entities, and it drove the share price down. Uh, The SEC stopped that naked short selling for 30 days, or basically one month, four weeks. Uh, And during that period of time, the the share prices of Fannie and Freddie about doubled. Uh, So did the uh, shares of those other financial institutions that happened to get that protection. Uh, And yet uh, the, the SEC then... Uh, revoked its order, they went right back to naked short-selling, drove the share price down again. Uh, Even at that time, uh, one of the major analysts on Wall Street, uh, covering Fannie and Freddie, put out a report saying that both of those firms were much stronger financially than they were uh, being shown to be in the market. (laughs) Uh, And yet uh, the naked short-sell, and by the way, they went up again for the three days after that until Friday of that week, and that was the weekend that uh, the economic czar Henry Paulson, fresh down from Wall Street's Goldman Sachs to be Treasury Secretary, went in with the regulators, cut their throat, and according to his words, the first thing those, uh, the heads of Fannie and Freddie heard uh, were their heads hitting the floor. Uh, they took over those entities, uh, basically put them under uh, uh, government control. And what has happened with those entities since then uh, is largely a mystery. But one of the the great plays that has taken place since 2008 is trying to get those so-called toxic assets out. The Treasury Department has now said they're going to auction those off uh, as soon as the market uh, is ready. Well, uh, the hedge funds that drove those uh, entities uh, uh, down to nothing with naked short-selling... Are now wanting, I'm quite sure, to buy those assets because indeed they are not toxic. They are quite valuable.
1: But to buy them so back they, on pennies on the dollar.
2: That's correct. And they will then make another, uh, uh, you know, few billion dollars each per year uh, as they go back up. Now, that is the kind of fraud that is going on. The fraud in the mor- um, mortgage market was not by small uh, subprime borrowers uh, borrowing money they couldn't pay back. Uh, In fact, the subprime loans uh, that were, uh, the loans uh, made by mortgage companies, uh, by and large performed quite well. And the companies uh, in that business, um, even though they were the target of naked short selling, uh, there is substantial evidence in my view that the mortgages were not really the problem the only thing that made the subprime uh, uh, mortgages go into higher rates of default, well, not the only thing, but a major factor, is that the, the policy of the Federal Reserve Board uh, essentially uh, fights inflation by intentionally putting people out of their jobs, by increase, uh, purposely creating unemployment. That is the Phillips curve theory that the, the Fed uh, admit that
1: it uses. Well, even right now, we're, we're watching inflation creeping into everything from fuel prices to uh, certainly what you pay for food. I always think it's funny because the federal government, when they, when they track the overall rate of inflation, they, they take two things out of the equation. They, they don't consider the cost of fuel or the cost of food, which I guess if you don't drive or don't eat, then you don't have to worry about being impacted by inflation in those two arenas. Then what do they do? They, they further exacerbate that problem through currency devaluation. How do they do that? print money. We'll talk more about this. Wayne Jack with us, an education on the fruits of graft, the Great Depression then and now. And you know, if you think everybody suffered in all of this, 1929 and 2008, yeah, I tell you what, people suffered. A lot of people suffered. But there were also a lot of people who focused more on personal aggrandizement and enrichment, rather than ultimately safeguarding and protecting the interest of shareholders, who were really made out like bandits, Literally. Back with more of our look at the Fruits of Graft with author Wayne Jett, as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. conversation with Wayne Jett. The book, The Fruits of Graft, The Great Depression Then and Now. It was interesting that we see not only the comparison between some of the manipulation that took place and the immediate evaporation of uh, back then billions, today trillions of dollars in wealth, but in fact, a lot of that money had to go somewhere. Am I right, Wayne? I mean, some of these people at the top benefited and benefited quite nicely from this collapse on both occasions.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, As a matter of fact, that's one of the great uh, myths or delusions uh that's put out that all of the money just evaporates. In fact, it does not. Uh, uh, In 2008 alone, uh, $13 trillion looted uh, from the capital of uh, just the U.S. alone. Uh, And uh, that is uh, per a Pentagon report that was classified at the time it was given in 2009. It was uh, declassified in March of this year. Uh, By that time, I'd already written my book, including the same kinds of things. I didn't have the $13 million estimate, or trillion, I should say. That's $13 trillion looted uh, in 2008 alone. Uh, But um, uh, their conclusions in that Pentagon secret report uh, are the same as mine that this was financial terrorism, uh, that it was perpetrated by naked short selling, by uh, credit default swaps. Uh, which are closely tied in with naked short selling. In fact, the SEC had permitted uh, credit default swaps. Uh, Anyone selling a credit default swap was authorized by the SEC to naked short sell in order to hedge its position. In other words, AIG and selling all those credit default swaps to Goldman Sachs, for example, uh, each time they sold a credit default swap, Uh, uh, For example, on the bonds of Ford Motor Company, they were permitted to naked short-sell as many shares of Ford Motor as they needed to in order to uh, hedge their position, guaranteeing uh, Ford's debt. Uh, So they were creating uh, unbelievable numbers of shares, billions of shares, going into the market uh, in order to hedge these credit default swaps. And then, of course, AIG is not able to pay off. Uh, And who steps in to guarantee that Goldman Sachs and all the ones buying this fraudulent stuff uh, get paid off?
1: The federal government.
2: The the federal government with Henry Paulson uh, saying that the world's going to come to an end unless we pass this bill and you give me $700 billion. Uh, to, uh, to make sure these things get paid off.
1: You know, there's another interesting comparison, too, that you make in the book, The Fruits of Graft. Uh, we, we see on the heels of the collapse that takes place during a Republican uh, leadership in the administration, uh, the next president to come in, a Democrat, a champion of poor and the middle class, whose administrations tend to seem to guarantee the continuance of the suffering of the poor and middle class. they suffering the most. Uh, Is that a fair comparison, both between what transpired under FDR and where we're at today?
2: It most certainly is. Um, I was not in any respect uh, surprised uh, at the type of appointments uh, Barack Obama made, President Obama made in his administration for his economic posts. Uh, every person he uh, appointed was the first choice for the post of of the Wall Street oligarchs, the financial elite uh, that uh, put this administration in office just as they put in uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, the Roosevelt agenda uh, was as poisonous as it could be to make certain that there would not be economic recovery. In fact, uh, when his uh, treasury secretary in 1939, told him uh, that uh, in effect he could assure him that we would have a boom within a month if he would simply agree to across-the-board tax cuts. The response of Roosevelt was to say, uh, "It's that's silly to suggest this is about economic recovery. Uh, This is a matter of politics. That was Roosevelt's Response.
1: Wow, and of course we see almost the identical response in the way the similar discussions have taken place in Washington, D.C., with President Obama. I want to urge you to get more information and get a copy of Wayne's book, The Fruits of Graft, Great Depression Then and Now. You can get it through classicalcapital.com, that classicalcapital.com, and, of course, through amazon.com. And Wayne Jett, author of this new book, has been a delight and a privilege to have you on the program. We'll hope to do it again real soon. The Fruits of Graft. Great Depression then and now, and the comparisons between the two, as we've learned tonight, are shockingly startling.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.